see you today. Good to be in the Lord's house on this very special Lord's Day and uh, just worshiping the Lord and being thankful for His grace. We're going to be uh, opening our Bibles and be turning to John chapter 20, if you would. You know, in a sense, every uh, Sunday, every Lord's Day, every first day of the week is a recognition of the resurrection because on that first day of the week when they went to examine the place where Jesus had been buried um, and he was not buried from that day until now. Churches have met on the first day of the week and uh, we're, we'll see some of that in our scripture today, but it's just a great special time to recognize. You know, I'll think about things that are so, um, things that impact the world and things that are kind of etched in our memory, but nothing can compare to the significance of what we celebrate this weekend. The passion of Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and it does, does give us hope. We were just talking during the break between Sunday school and church this morning about how people can find themselves in a place of hopelessness. And we, we've all, many of us have been in places where we were uh, discouraged, maybe even in despair. But the empty tomb gives us hope that there's a better day coming. We thank the Lord for that. So it's been a good week. We had a really wonderful time a few days ago observing the Lord's Supper, just remembering the sacrifice of Christ. And I'm just thankful today that we have the opportunity to be exposed to the gospel, aren't you? A lot of people live and die and never really have this opportunity, and we have a great opportunity to be aware of the gospel. And so uh, we're going to read in... Uh, John chapter 20, if you found that, let's stand together and we're going to read some a few verses together. This is uh, the record of the journey to the tomb uh, and the discovery that Jesus was not there. I just want to read a few verses leading up to our text. Verse 1 of John 20, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that being John, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. So Peter and John run uh, to the sepulcher to see for themselves. And it says in verse 10, Then the disciples went, away again unto their own home. So these two disciples, James and John, go back to where they were after coming and finding that the tomb was empty. And in verse 11 it says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and she's going to see these angels, and then actually Jesus speaks to her. She doesn't recognize who he is. He identifies himself in verse 16 of that passage. And then if you'll uh, look with me in verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And verse 19, then the same day at evening, so this is still the first day of the week, it's later in the day, it's in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 
And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. You know, you read things in the Bible, and they're just a simple statement, one sentence. But man, there's a lot to think about in that sentence. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now down to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So he missed that experience for Jesus coming. The other disciples therefore said unto him, when they were back around Thomas, when he came back, they said unto him, we've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Hence we have the reputation of doubting Thomas. And uh, it wasn't just though that he was doubting, he was refusing to believe. It doesn't say I cannot believe, he said I will not believe. Verse 26, after six, eight days after this, so that would be the next Lord's Day. If you count the day that they were in, the first day of the week, then eight days after that would be the next Sunday. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Let's pray together as we get into the scripture. Father, thank you for your word. And once again, we pray that, Lord, your word would have free course among us. Lord, we, we want to give our attention to what you say. And we want to learn from this experience with the disciples in general, with Thomas in particular. Not only things that occurred at that time, but things about our own life. I pray today that our faith would be increased in this hour. If there be those here today who've never received Christ and the gift of eternal life, that today is, would be a very special day for them to realize the power in believing what you say. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin, it's good to me to just to think about what a dark time this must have been for these followers of Jesus. It's been three days and three nights since Jesus died on the cross, and no doubt the hardest three days of their life. Their Savior, their Lord, their best friend had departed from this life, and his lifeless body lay in a grave. And they're huddled in fear, uh, in fear of the Jews, the Bible says. So you can only imagine the depth of their despair 
You know, sometimes we read the Bible and without really thinking about the significance of it, and we think, well, you know, it's just another day. But this was not just another day for them. The Bible tells us in, in verse 11 there that uh, the same passage that Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Jesus was not there. She didn't know at that time where he was, and she is weeping. In Mark's gospel, it says that when Mary left that scene, having met the Lord, when she left that scene and went to where the disciples were, Mark tells us that the disciples, this is before daylight, were mourning and weeping. They were overcome with grief, with sorrow, with despair. And you add to their grief the fact that they just struggled to believe that Jesus could possibly be alive. Now we're going to spend most of our time in John 20, but I want you to go with me if you would, if you have your Bible, to the Gospel of Mark and Let's just read from two different passages that really reveal how serious these followers of Christ were struggling to believe that Jesus could be alive. In Mark chapter 16, let's look together in verse 9. It says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Mark chapter 16 and verse 10. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Verse 12. And after that, same day, first day of the week, after that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue. They told it to the other people. The disciples, same group of men, neither believed they them. Verse 14, afterward, and this would be after uh, the eighth day of the week after that, Afterward, he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them. Jesus upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So we just see here, again, examples of how much they did not believe. As a matter of fact, in Mark's gospel, just go a little bit further to the left to verse chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and this is one of a number of examples that you may remember, may not, may never really kind of connected with this, where Jesus told them repeatedly, even before he went to Jerusalem, when I get there, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. So here we see it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 30, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and would not that any man should know it, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. I mean, he didn't mince any words. He didn't kind of just hide it from them. And in verse 32 says, But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand it, but they were afraid and were afraid to ask him. So let's go back to John chapter 20. And so you have these disciples struggling to believe until Jesus appeared in the room in verse 19 of chapter 20, John 20. 
And it says there that the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors being shut, Jesus stood in the midst. The implication there is that Jesus didn't come through the door. He didn't need to open the door. He had this glorified body that he came right into the room. And it says in verse 20 that he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Everything changed when they saw the Lord. Now again, think about the emotional roller coaster these men had been on. They, just a week earlier than this, they entered into Jerusalem to this jubilant time, riding this donkey, a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy with the crowds cheering, you know, Hosanna, is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the king, everything's going good. Then, something they never anticipated, one of the innermost circle, one of the twelve, betrayed the Lord, turned against the Lord, and now they're going through that, having to deal with that, and, and then they never thought for a moment that he would ever be crucified. They just didn't connect with it. And here they are meeting, verse 19 says, for fear of the Jews, meeting in fear and terror, and then Jesus just shows up in the room. Imagine what that would be like for you. They saw him, they were glad. He was alive. And the thing that's interesting is they believed because they saw. They didn't believe Mary's account. They didn't believe the two on the road to Emmaus. They didn't believe that the angels who were there at the tomb when Mary was there, but they believed because they saw him. But as we said earlier, one of the disciples was absent. In verse 24, Thomas, my namesake, Didymus. The word Didymus means a twin. Um, he wasn't there. It doesn't tell us why he wasn't there. We can only speculate. Maybe he just wanted to be alone. Maybe he went out for food. Maybe he got, was just discouraged. We don't know. But we know this. He was not there. And just think about this for a moment. And I'm not going to spend much time here. But what a time to be away. What a time not to be in your place when Jesus shows up. And you know what? It's a good reminder. You never know what you might miss when you're not with the disciples. When they meet together. You know, every time I come to church is not necessarily a life-changing experience. But most life-changing experiences that I've ever had happened in a church setting. You, just, you say, well, it's just another Sunday morning or another Sunday night. You never know what God might do in that moment. So Thomas is out there. Look in verse 25. And this, we're getting now into really the meat of the message in verse 25. The other disciple therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. We said, they said to John, uh, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see. That's a condition he placed, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I emphatically, I will not believe. Without seeing, I will not believe. They said, we've seen the Lord, didn't matter to him. The only way he's going to believe is if he can personally see Jesus. Now, I just want to think about this matter of unbelief for a few moments. Because it's a very common problem. Not to believe. Now, not, I'm not just talking about disbelieving the resurrection. 
But it's a very common problem not to believe, even among believers, not to believe the promises of God, not to believe the way God wants to take care of us, not to believe that we can step out, not on blind faith, but on the Word of God. And if we would be honest, all of us struggle from time to time with this matter of disbelief. And here's an interesting thing. When you think about these disciples, I'm talking now about the ten minus uh, Thomas, they expected Thomas to believe them. I mean, they just said, we saw him. You should believe him. You should believe because, because we saw him. They, they had seen the Lord. Yet Mary Magdalene had told these ten, these eleven that she had seen them and they didn't believe her. Luke, writing about this in his gospel, said that when the women came to give the news to the disciples, the disciples, the, the closest people to Jesus, when they came to give the news to the apostles, it seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. And we read a moment ago when the two men who had been walking along the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion, after the uh, the time being there with the disciples, they're walking along to this village, Emmaus, and as they're walking along, Jesus joined them, and they didn't recognize him at first for who he was, but then they recognized this is Jesus, he's alive. And Jesus departed from them. They went back to Jerusalem. They said, you never believe it. We saw him. We were walking. We saw him ourselves. They didn't believe them either. You know, unbelief can be a serious problem. If, you, if we could get to the bottom, to the heart sometimes of why there are things we know that God wants us to do and yet we're not doing them, often it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of not believing God. I mean, if you believed, if, if you really thought that I can do something and, I, and it may get me out of my comfort zone, but I can do something, it's not what I would naturally want to do, but I know if I do it, God's going to bless me, then why wouldn't we do it? And the answer is we struggle to really believe that God will bless when we do what he wants us to do. It's a very common problem. Thomas, and, and I'm not going to psychoanalyze him, but he was not in a good place spiritually. Number one, he was refusing to believe without seeing. He was refusing. He said, I will not believe. He was disputing with eyewitnesses who had actually seen the Lord in his resurrected state. You know, and then he was putting these demands. When you, when you or I put demands on God, it, I'm only going to do this and God does this for me, that's not really a good place to be. And so unbelief really can lead to some bad places. It robs us of spiritual blessings. I mean, Jesus was alive, and at first, none of the 11 believed it. And he's still alive, and yet one of them still doesn't believe it. You know, unbelief robs us of spiritual blessings. Thomas went an entire week, which may not seem like a long time, but he went an entire week doubting and not, want, not knowing because he just refused to believe. And there are many examples of this in the Bible. My mind goes to the, the children of Israel whose faith, lack of faith, prevented them from going into the promised land. It cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness simply because they did not believe. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. 
Not improbable, it's impossible. I cannot please God unless I'm living by faith. Without faith, you cannot be saved. It's not possible to go to heaven. You can't know the Lord without believing. I'm gonna, let's look down to that last verse of that chapter 20 of John. But these things are written, John says, John the Beloved, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. A person cannot go to heaven without believing what God says. I mean, whether you believe it or not, Jesus died for your sins. Whether you believe it or not, after three days, He raised from the grave. Whether you believe it or not, He gives eternal life to every person who by faith will receive him as their Savior. You can be born again. You can be forgiven of every sin. One day you can go to heaven and spend forever in a place that God has prepared for us. The Bible teaches all of that. But if you don't believe that, if you don't put your trust in that, it won't be real in your life. Without faith, there's no real dependence on God. There's no real trust in the Lord. And basically, and this goes back to our narrative Without faith, we live in a world governed by what we see or governed by what we feel. But God has something better for us than that. And that's living life according to His Word. So how do we overcome the tendency to doubt? It's very simple. So simple that the young... But that's exactly what the disciples were doing. Jesus told them. If they were note-takers... They could have written out a note and said, Jesus said this. We don't know how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, but we know this. One day he's going to die on the cross, but don't let it shake you up because the same one who said that said in three days I'll be alive again. But you know, but they didn't believe that. They didn't believe it. They simply, if they had just believed what he said, and I think for us often the fact that we just don't believe what he said gets us in a place of doubt. And so that brings us back to the encounter Jesus has with Thomas. If you look in verse 29, it says, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are they that can believe without seeing. The eleven, when John, uh, Thomas was with them, they were despondent. They were filled with doubt. And uh, even though people had told them, and what caused them to believe? Look in, go back to uh, the text in verse uh, John chapter 20. And verse 20 it says, And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands, and his side, then they then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. There's really not a, any difference between Thomas and the other ten, because the only reason any of them believed was because of what they saw. They believed because they saw the Lord. Thomas believed because he saw the Lord. But here's the here's the heart of the message today. God wants us to believe without seeing. Without seeing. A thing is not so because we see that it's so. 
It's so because God says it's so. And God wants us to believe when we have not seen. And there's something more important than what we can just see. You know, Jesus gave these disciples numerous examples and warnings, but they did not believe. You know, I was thinking this morning about this chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a chapter about faith, and most of you may be familiar with it. But it begins with the word, a definition of what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Think about this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Faith is believing what you cannot see. That's real faith. And we cannot please God without faith. And so what is the foundation of our faith? It's not what we see. You know, someone mentioned recently in a message about that passage when Jairus uh, came to the Lord because his uh, daughter was dying and he asked the Lord to have mercy upon his daughter and, and Jesus was compassionate and merciful and he said, I'm, I'll go with you. And so he has, the, he has the Lord's word on it, right? When Jesus says it, you can take it to the bank. But as they're going along, they're interrupted because there's a woman with this sickness and, and she presses through the crowd and she believed that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, then she would be healed. And so there's a delay there. And sure enough, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. And, and there's a commotion about that and all those things. And while this is happening... A servant of Jairus comes to him and says, Trouble the master no more because she's dead. And Jesus turned to him and said, Don't disbelieve, just believe. Fear not, he said. Fear not, just believe what I said. And I'm telling you, that's what faith is. It's, it's what he was seeing was this interruption. What he was hearing was the word that says she's dead. But Jesus said, don't put as much stock in what you see and hear as what I told you. So that's really the foundation of our faith. It's hearing God's word. Hold your finger here in John 20 and go back a few pages to John chapter 5. A very simple and powerful message about Salvation, about eternal life, about forgiveness. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, where in that verse do you find anything about seeing is necessary for believing? It's not in there. What is, it, what is necessary? Hearing his word and believing. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You know, I'm not going to turn to it this morning, but one of the apostles, Simon Peter, in one of his epistles, he writes about, I'll just kind of paraphrase, he writes about being an eyewitness to the transfiguration of Christ. Only, only two others, uh, 
James and John were with him. They went up onto a mountain apart, and Jesus was transfigured, literally began his skin, his garment began to shine as bright as the sun, and he was transfigured, and, and uh, God spoke, God said, listen, this is my son, listen to him. Peter writes in his own epistle, he wasn't bragging, but he said, I was an eyewitness of the transfiguration. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he said this, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have something that's more certain than seeing with your own eyes. And what is that more sure word of prophecy? He goes on to talk about the scripture, how the scriptures were given to us by, by the prophets who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And he said, look, I saw with my own eyes Jesus transfigured, but there's something more reliable than that. You know, most of us would say, man, if I could have seen the transfiguration, I've even heard people talk about going to Israel and, and seeing the tomb, they say, that where Jesus was. And my wife and I have been in that place twice. And I've heard people talk about it like it was so, so revealing, so exciting, so transforming that we saw the fact Jesus is not there. But there's something more certain than eyewitness account. And that's what God says. It's His Word. You know, if we really took that to heart, we'd want to know what He said about everything. We'd want to read the Word and meditate on the Word. And our faith is not based upon what we see. You know, in this text we keep looking at in John chapter 20, what does He say in verse 31? These things are written. You have the Word. You have the, you have the words. These things are written that you might believe. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. I was thinking this morning about that passage in 2 Corinthians that pertains to this when Paul wrote, and he says, For we look not at the things which can be seen. That's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? We look not at what you can see. We look not at the things which can be seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal. Everything we can see, this building, this pulpit, everything is temporary. It has a, has a lifespan. The things that are seen are temporal, but the things that cannot be seen, those things are eternal. We heard this morning in the Sunday school hour about how that sometimes because of the influence of the world in our life, we don't, we don't really live like we should and Obey like we should. It's a, the same thing about this matter of faith. There's so much that we see that affects us and so much that cannot be seen that ought to influence us. Talking about this matter, again, Peter wrote in the first epistle, he says this, Whom, talking about Jesus, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We haven't seen Him, but we love Him. And even though we don't see Him, we believe. Why? You say, how can you believe in something that you cannot see? Because we base our belief on what God says. God's truth. We walk by faith. Not a blind faith, but a faith that's anchored in the Word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. So, Still looking at John chapter 20 and verse 27, when Jesus came to the room there and Thomas was with them, he spoke directly to Thomas. Look at that if you would please, verse 27 of John 20. Then saith he to Thomas, 
Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither my, thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. You know, when Jesus had met with the ten without John, and they believed because they saw, and then when John joined them later without Jesus being there, when Thomas joined them later, didn't sound right, Sam Peter. When Thomas joined them later, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can put my finger into his wounds, unless I can actually touch and see. But Jesus wasn't there at that time. The next time Thomas saw Jesus, Jesus said, you insist on putting your fingers. Isn't it interesting? Don't you think he was wondering, how did he know that? How do you know that I said that? Because he knows everything. And I think Jesus is very gracious, very kind, very gentle, very merciful with him. And he said, it doesn't say he even touched. It just said Jesus showed him. And then we have this great declaration in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. That's a recognition, not only that Jesus was alive, but that Jesus was Savior, that he was the Lord, that he was God, Lord and God. You know, it's, it's, it's a blessing that he was able to see. But Jesus said it's blessed. doesn't say it's more blessed, but it is blessed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now I want to ask you a couple of questions tonight as you think about this or today. Do you believe... Do you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed God? And have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I mean, truly received Him. Lord means something. For us, Lord is just a little four-letter word, but Lord means master. The word there means master, ruler. Is Jesus your Lord? Have you received Him as your Lord and master, your, your Savior? Have you been born again? Can you say with sincerity, could you say today with sincerity, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my God. He is my God. That's what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. You know, it's not new for people to want to see signs. I felt that way myself early in the days when I was trying to figure out where I was spiritually. And I wanted God to show me some kind of a sign and people look for signs. But Jesus once was asked about this, show us a sign. And this is what Jesus said. It's an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. And only one sign will be given. Only one. And that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the center of the earth. The resurrection is all the sign anybody needs. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. There's no reason for us 
to doubt. What is it today that maybe you struggle with? None of us want to admit that we have moments of doubt and unbelief. But what is it that you struggle with? We heard this morning in Sunday school about how the, the natural response to a Savior who gave everything for us is to give everything to Him. That's a very interesting point, a very valid point. What keeps us from giving everything to Him? I don't think it's that we don't think He deserves it. I think sometimes it's because we fear. We're wondering, how's this going to work out? What would, how would it change my life? How would it change my marriage? How would it change my friendships, my relationships? I mean, what would this mean? And all of those comments are just examples of unbelief and doubt. But you know what? If Jesus said he'll take care of us, that's really all we need is his word. His word is the basis, the anchor of our faith. And maybe today you're, you're thinking, man, there's something, maybe nobody knows it but you. It's something you struggle with, something you just have a hard time surrendering to God. You know what the Lord wants us to do? We don't have to see a sign we just have to see that God says it. Hebrews 4 called it mixing faith with the word of God. We believe because God says so. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, think about this. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not truly saved, today he wants you to be saved. And joining a church won't save you. This church or any church, getting baptized won't save you. Doing good works won't save you. There's only one thing, according to Jesus' words, that will promise you eternal life, and that's when you believe on Jesus Christ. When you put your faith and trust in Him for your salvation. And today, today, Everything that could be done has been done for you and I to be saved. To, to, to rest in that promise of eternal life. Everything except just putting your faith and trust in Him. And if you're not saved today, that's, you could get saved right where you sit. Right where you are. By saying, Lord, I put my trust in you. I believe that when you died on the cross, you paid for my salvation. No other price needs to be paid. And not only did you die for my sins, but three days later you raised from the dead. Validating everything he ever said has to be true. Trust him today. Put your faith in him today. You may need some help with that. I'll be standing here in a few moments right here at the front. You could just come up and say, Preacher, I, I really want to do this, but I just need a little help. And somebody could pray with you and show you scriptures and help you any way we can help you. Be not faithless, but believing. That's what God is looking for. Let's bow our heads together for a moment of prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you just take the next few minutes 
and not think about what's going to happen after we get out of here or having family over for dinner or whatever. Just think about your relationship to God. Think about what it would mean for your life to put your faith and trust in Christ. Or if you are saved, just think about how we... I've been here more than once. Lord, I just want to trust you for this. I just want to believe that you can handle this. Without seeing anything but what God says, I want to believe.